Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr. Cathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Emre Denise is a special educational teacher and Rogerian play therapist working with autistic children and teens and supporting them to reach their developmental milestones. He's a final year PhD student in psychology in the Education Research Centre at the University of York. His research interests lay in intra-family relationships, how they relate to social, emotional and mental health difficulties in autistic children and adolescents. In his PhD, Emre focuses on negative sibling relationships, sibling bullying, and how they can affect mental health of autistic adolescents. He also investigates the differences and similarities between families from Western and non-Western countries to see whether the sibling relationships of autistic children differ in cross-cultural contexts. Emre follows the neurodiversity movement and prefers to view the variations in neurocognitive functioning as a valuable and natural part of humanity's genetic legacy instead of ever seeing them as neuropathological diseases. Welcome, Emre. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, this topic of sibling bullying that we're going to talk about today, I think it's so evocative. I think all of us would just think, wow, like maybe we've never even thought about sibling bullying. I think there's a big expectation that siblings will always have a little bit of jostle and rough play and they sort of learn from one another and they engage with each other in particular ways. But your research is focused on sibling bullying. And in particular, we're going to be discussing your research in terms of how autistic teenagers might experience that particular phenomenon. Could we sort of start with a, I think there's a lovely definition of sibling bullying that I discovered in one of your papers. Any unwanted aggressive behavior by a sibling that involves an observed or perceived power imbalance that is repeated multiple times, highly likely to be repeated, and bullying can inflict harm distress on the targeted sibling. So tell us in sort of broad terms about, let's start with the sort of the importance of that sibling relationship for young people's mental health, because I don't think it's something that we sort of think about that often. Mm -hmm. Well, sibling relationships are important. Well, we know in both Western and non-Western societies, about 90% of children grow up with at least one sibling. So it's like only 10% of children grow up without a sibling and until children reach adolescence they spend most of their time with their siblings so now we are talking about 15 years we are talking about two or more individuals who spend most of their lives around about 15 years together and this is a big amount of time to spend together with another person and that makes siblings bond with each other in two ways in both negative and positive ways. In this case, I like how Dorothy Rowe uh, describes her relationships with her sibling. When she describes her sibling, she says, my dearest enemy and my dangerous friend. And this is this, this describes how sibling bonds in both positive and negative ways. Yeah, in terms of how sibling relationships important in terms of mental health and well-being in children, well, in terms of positive sibling relationships, when children get positive sibling relationships, we know that siblings who get along well support each other in many different ways, especially in terms of social and emotional development. 
We know that siblings with positive sibling relationships are likely to become best friends. They are each other's first playmates, supervisors, role models, and emotional supporters, which in turn, in turn increases their empathy and pro-social skills, as well as their self-esteem and well-being. But we also know that we must acknowledge that sibling relationships doesn't always include positive interactions. Sometimes children will experience negative sibling interactions, such as rivalry, jealousy, conflict, aggression, and bullying. And among all these negative sibling relationships, bullying is the one with most detrimental outcomes on children's mental health and well-being later in their lives. So as I have said, most types of negative sibling interactions aren't actually harmful. On the contrary, some negative sibling relationships actually support certain developmental areas in children. For example, sibling rivalry and conflict can support children's emotional and behavioral regulation, increase problem-solving skills, and help them to learn how to deal with such disagreements with other people. And it also actually helps them to develop their conflict resolution skills. Some types of negative sibling relationships, however, can have detrimental effects on children's mental health and well-being later in their lives. In very general, talking about sibling bullying, which we see as the most has the most detrimental effects on children's mental health, we clearly know that sibling bullying reduces children's self-esteem and well-being later in life and also increases their mental health difficulties when they reach adolescence and early adulthood. There was a quotation that I read in the Erickson and Jensen paper of 2009 saying that sibling bullying is the most frequent and least recognized form of violence in most adolescents' lives. And I think it's quite interesting because parents might overlook a sibling bullying or and not interpret it as necessarily violent. But when you read that and you consider what you've just said about the longitudinal impact of that on mental health, because you can imagine that how a child who's being bullied feels about their entire family setup and even about how their parents feel about them if they're allowed to be bullied at home. Yes, the quotation is correct, and I like this paper as well. Luckily, from the literature uh, with recent papers, we know how common sibling bullying is. And all recent studies are consistently reported that it's about 50% in children. So one in two children experience sibling bullying at home in the past six months of their lives, which is a very big proportion of children. And usually it's not well recognized compared to other types of violence children face. For example, peer bullying is very well recognized and parents are aware of it. They react it sometimes very angrily, but so they care about peer bullying and other types of violence their children face outside home, but they don't care about sibling bullying. Most of the time they don't even recognize it because they see it as a normative part of daily sibling interaction. But it's actually not. And compared to peer bullying, sibling bullying is much more prevalent. The most I saw in peer bullying literature was at 20 or 30% the prevalence of peer bullying, which is still very high. But compared to sibling bullying, it's almost half prevalence. And one very good researcher in the field, Dieter Wolke, says that sibling bullying has more detrimental effects on children's mental health and well-being compared to peer bullying because 
when a child is bullied outside home or at school, they will still have a place to escape from bullying. They will still have a safe harbor, which is their home. Whereas when a child is bullied at home, there is no safe place for them to escape from bullying. Mm. And does it always involve physical abuse? Is it emotional abuse? What does it look like, sibling bullying? So we categorize sibling bullying in four different forms, which are physical sibling bullying, social sibling bullying, psychological sibling bullying, and property-based sibling bullying. So it's not always physical bullying. It can take different forms. In fact, there's also gender differences here. We see that males, boys, are more likely to physically bully each other. They are much more straightforward in their sibling relationships. Even in their negative sibling relationships, they chose to physically bully other child. Whereas we, when we look at females, girls, they are more likely to choose indirect type of sibling bullying, such as social and psychological sibling bullying. When we say social and psychological sibling bullying, we, we, uh, we talk about like excluding siblings from their social activities or from their social groups. Or it can also be sometimes children tell lies about their siblings to make others to dislike them. The others can be parents, the others can be their uh, common friends or their cousins. Those type of things are indirect sibling bullying, what we call, and it's categorized under social or psychological sibling bullying. And you've mentioned boys are more likely to be perpetrators, I believe, and girls to be the victims in general of this type of bullying. Yes, there is a common sense in that. But as a researcher um, in the field, I don't... So the common sense is true. It says boys are more likely to be the perpetrator of bullying and girls are more likely to be victim of bullying, which is correct. But what we don't know from bullying literature, especially from sibling bullying literature, is that are boys more likely to perpetrate their sisters and our sisters are more likely to be perpetrated by their brothers? We don't know that. So what we know is boys are more likely to perpetrate, girls are more likely to be victimized. But it can be like boys are more likely to perpetrate boys and sisters are more likely to be victimized by their siblings, which is my opinion. My research is still ongoing and it's going to be only one research in the literature. But in bullying literature, what researchers ask to children is that they ask whether they involve in sibling bullying and what happens Boys report perpetration rates and girls report victimization rates. But what do they not report is that who victimized them or mm. who they perpetrate. Boys don't say whether they perpetrate brothers or whether they, they perpetrate sisters. And girls don't report whether they are victimized by sisters or by, by brothers. What about closeness in age, age gaps? How might that affect rates of sibling bullying? So it's highly correlated with sibling bullying. We know that because it's correlated with quality of sibling relationships. So we know once the quality of sibling relationship increases, the prevalence of sibling bullying decreases in such families. So closeness is the most important part of the quality of sibling relationships. So once we increase closeness between siblings, that will end up uh, with a reduced level of sibling bullying between them. In terms of age difference, we know that uh, siblings who are close in age are more likely to bully each other compared to siblings who are not close in age. 
So tell us a little bit, if a child is bullying their sibling, are they likely to be bullying other children in their life as well? Is there a relationship between sibling and peer bullying? Yes, there is a relationship. So this is basically based on Albert Bandura's social learning theory, which suggests that children first learn at home and then they adopt their behaviors outside home. So before we didn't know whether children who are involved in peer bullying at school are more likely to victimize their siblings at home or children who perpetrate their siblings at home are more likely to perpetrate their peers at school. And then lately, recent research showed that, yes, it's learned at home. So children who bully their siblings at home are more likely to bully their peers at school or outside home as well. And children who are victimized by a sibling also are more likely to be victimized by their peers outside home. Gosh. And what's going on in those family cultures that you've identified? What are the characteristics? What's going on between parents or what's going on in the in the family um, environment to sustain or, or promote or, or ignore that sort of sibling bullying? So there are some predictors and and protective factors against sibling bullying as predictor factors we have some family related predictor factors and child related predictor factors so in some cases sibling bullying happens because of family characteristics but sometimes it happens because of child characteristics in terms of family characteristic what we know that children resemble their parents behaviors So what happens when parents are in conflict with each other, when they argue with each other in front of children, when there is a marital conflict between parents, this is likely to be resemble on children's sibling relationships as well. What else we know is also parent-child attachment is highly correlated with sibling bullying. So children who are insecurely attached to their parents are more likely to bully and to be victimized by their siblings compared to other children who are securely attached to their parents. One other family characteristic that is correlated with sibling bullying that we found is socioeconomic status of the family. So we know that children bully over limited sources and bullying first starts with the born of second child. And it's mainly because the first child think, okay, I was getting all the source before that second child came. So now that the second child came, I will get half of the sources, which is correct. So they start aggressive behaviors over their siblings. They start to bully their siblings over those limited sources. So what we see are families with limited socioeconomic sources, we see higher sibling bullying rates Mm. compared to families who provide higher sources to their children. And Emre, what about what's happening in different countries culturally? Are there any higher rates of sibling bullying in particular countries and cultures? So (laughs) there is a race difference in sibling bullying, uh, which isn't confirmed 100%. But we know that white children are more likely to bully and to be victimized by their siblings compared to non-white children. And this is all because most of sibling bullying research, they have been conducted in Western countries and white countries. And when they conduct a research in Western countries, in white population, your research population will be 90% or higher white people. 
so that provides you a significant result saying that white children are more likely to bully or to be victimized by, by their siblings but this is not a confirmed case completely talking about different societies I am doing a cross-cultural research in sibling bullying, and there are not too many cross-cultural studies. But what we know based on very limited research on in the literature is that there isn't actually a difference between societies. So we expected to find a difference between Western and non-Western countries. But actually, based on the literature, there is no cross-cultural difference in sibling bullying rates. So it's high in both Western and Eastern societies. So it's just at the minute, the sort of the literature pointing to higher rates amongst white children is just a little bit skewed because the research volume hasn't been there in other contexts. And you're certainly doing a lot to address that because I know you're doing a study on the experiences of Turkish children. Is that correct? Yes. So in my research, what I'm doing, I'm comparing the UK and Turkey in terms of sibling bullying. What I want to see whether there is any difference in terms of negative sibling relationships between families from a Western and non-Western culture. And then what I will look is whether the detrimental effect of sibling bullying differs cross-culturally. So we know sibling bullying is correlated with mental health difficulties and well-being later in life. But what we don't know, whether this differs cross-culturally because there can be some mediators between sibling bullying and mental health in different cultures that in some cultures, for example, sibling bullying can cause high mental health problems, which is confirmed in Western cultures, but it's not confirmed in Eastern cultures. So we might end up with some results seeing that, yes, sibling bullying is also happening in Eastern cultures, but it's not causing mental health problems because of these, these, these characteristics in that culture. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. That's great. And tell us a little bit about parents. So how do parents' reactions to sibling bullying matter? So it matters. We know the general reactions of parents. Most of parents avoid or ignore the situation. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One reason is because, as I said before, most parents think it's just a part of daily sibling interaction. So they ignore it. They think it's not important. It's normal. Some other parents use punishments. And most of the time, they punish the bully of the sibling bullying. And in some cases, they reported they punished both children, the bully and the victim. And some other parents respond with anger to the situation to both children. But in terms of how should they react is like, first of all, I would advise all parents to not have prejudgments over the situation because sometimes the parents witness at the wrong time. So it can be like one child provoked the other child and the other child was responding to that provocation and the parent witnessed at that time and thought that that child was bullying the other child but that child was actually just responding to the other child's behavior. So it's very important to not have prejudgments over the situation. And when parents react sibling bullying, the first thing that we advise is to separate children when they witness sibling bullying. And the second thing is we advise parents that to talk each child individually after bullying happened to get each child's reactions and their point of view over the situation. And then we advise them to talk both child together and explain each child's points of view to the other child 
because we must acknowledge that for children, especially for young children, it can be very hard to take other child's point of view. So it's, it's the parents' job to, to help them to take each other's perspective. And in some cases, parents might think when they think the bullying was a very extreme situation and they think they should actually take precautions for the future bullying, they might choose punishing the bully or punishing the child who was responsible for that action. In, the, in such situations, we can advise them to use some withdrawals, which is based on taking away some privileges that the bully child had. So to show them, like, if you do this behavior in the future, this is the consequences you will face. Yeah. So it's a lot about clarity, staying calm, not overreacting, having a consistent structure in order to help understand what the interaction has involved, and then applying consistent rules for breaching your behavioral expectations within family life and getting into the rhythm of doing that. So not jumping to any conclusions and making sure we answer in a very sort of consistent and sensible way that is quite objective. Exactly. Now, Emre, you are doing work on the sibling relationships for autistic adolescents. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about the sort of the what we know about sibling relationships and the qualities of those for children or young people with neurodevelopmental conditions in general. So relatively less research have been conducted on the characteristics of sibling relationships in autistic children. So uh, we don't see very big differences in terms of how children's sibling relationships characterize in both autistic and non-autistic children. But based on the limited literature, we know that there are differences in characteristics of sibling relationships that they have. We know that, for example, autistic children's sibling relationships slightly differ from other children with other neurodevelopmental conditions, whereas it actually differs more when we compare them to neurotypical peers. And the reason for this difference is because autistic children differ from others regarding their social, cognitive and behavioral characteristics. So autistic children have relatively less shared interest and joint attention skills compared to other children. And therefore, autistic children spend less time with their siblings, they play less with their siblings, and they have less amount of social interactions with their siblings. As a result of this, it's suggested that there may be less intimacy, companionship, closeness, positive effect, and warmth in the relationship between autistic children compared to other children. We also know that it differs slightly from other children with other neurodevelopmental conditions, such as Down syndrome. Previous research showed that children with Down syndrome has slightly a better sibling relationship, if, if the better is a good term to use here, slightly has a close, more close sibling relationships compared to autistic children. And the characteristics of their sibling relationships are much more close to their neurotypical peers. So in this matter, what we know is that we should not generalize our thoughts or our findings on sibling relationships in neurotypical children to the sibling relationships in autistic children. 
Mm. And if you're the parent of an autistic child listening and you you want to make sure sibling relationships are as optimal and positive as possible, what advice would you give? So first of all, parents should promote positive sibling relationships. And for doing that, we need parents to spend more time with their children because we know that parental supervision improves the quality of sibling relationships. So we strongly encourage parents to spend more time with their autistic children and their siblings at home. And the second thing that I can recommend parents is to actually involve their place. It's very hard for an autistic child to play with their siblings or to find a shared interest with with them. So we strongly encourage parents to be a mediator between this autistic child and the non-autistic child. So they can involve in their plays, they can you know, encourage them to play together and they can actually show them how to take each other's perspective because it's, sometimes it's very hard for the autistic child to know what the other sibling thinks in that situation or it's very hard for them to actually follow the rules sometimes. So it's the parent's job to involve in that situation and to encourage them to spend more time together and to make sure they they increase the closeness and the intimacy between siblings. And also presumably a parent's praise, praising each child for being kind or noticing something or sharing or so it's that sort of close supervision that you're really referring to just being there not overseeing the play but just gently nudging praising noticing observing within play will give those children the skills to be autonomous eventually and also kind to one another Mm -hmm. exactly Now, you have a paper on sibling bullying and autistic teens within which you note that early sibling bullying prevention programs can potentially be an effective way of increasing self-esteem, protecting mental health. Are you aware, Emre, of any specific interventions that you could recommend to us? I am aware of some interventions, but unfortunately, we have very limited number of interventions for decreasing sibling bullying and increasing the equality of sibling relationships. One intervention that I know is called Fun with Brothers and Sisters that is suggested by Kramer and Radley. And in this intervention, the practitioner promotes six different social skills in siblings, which are to show children how to initiate play appropriately and to show them how to accept invitations from their siblings or how to actually refuse inv- invitations from their siblings. And they also teach children how to take their other siblings' perspective. They show them how to deal with their angry feelings when they feel angry towards their siblings. And lastly, they show children how to manage conflict with their siblings. So this intervention is proven to be effective in improving the quality of sibling relationships and decreasing sibling bullying. But in terms of sibling bullying prevention programs, we don't actually have any interventions that aim to decrease sibling bullying. All the interventions we get are are the ones which aim to improve the quality of sibling relationships, thus as a result of this decrease the sibling conflict and bullying. It's so much easier, isn't it, to put in the building blocks for positive relationships than actually decrease bullying? Because 
you know, these sibling relationships take place within quite complex family systems, cultures. So that's the sort of the job of therapists, isn't it, often to sort of work with families in a much more holistic way. But I'm certainly very encouraged and heartened by the many things that you have pointed to that we could pay attention to as parents within family life. I think a lot of us just ignore the sibling relationship and kind of hope that it works out. But you have described very tangible ways in which we can be proactive. And I think that's very exciting. So Emre, tell us exactly what you are working on at the moment and how we can stay in touch with your research moving forward. So at the moment, what I'm working on is I'm at the moment working on the British children, sibling relationships in British children, especially sibling bullying in British children. And what I'm looking on is finding a mediator factor between sibling bullying and mental health. As we have mentioned, we know that we don't have any sibling bullying prevention programs. And although if we do develop some interventions, it's very hard to actually deliver those interventions to families in need because many parents are not aware of sibling bullying because as Dieter Volk also said that it usually happens behind closed doors so parents are not aware of it and most of the time when parents are aware of it they don't see any issue in that sibling bullying so they don't think it's something harmful so it's very hard to find those families and deliver such interventions to those families thus it's very hard to actually prevent its detrimental effects on children's mental health and well-being. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to find a mediator factor between sibling bullying and mental health in autistic children. The aim for that is we think it's not a direct effect between sibling bullying and mental health. We don't think sibling bullying affects mental health and well-being directly. We think that there may be some mediator factors between sibling bullying and mental health that mediates this effect. And in my latest paper, what we found was self-esteem. So we found that sibling bullying doesn't actually directly affect mental health and well-being in children. What it does is it reduces self-esteem in children and children with lower self-esteem develop higher mental health difficulties and have poorer well-being later in their lives. So currently we are working on finding other mediator factors between sibling pooling and mental health to actually provide some support to those mediator factors. For example, in my latest paper, what we recommended was we said if we increase self-esteem of children, it might be a protective factor against their mental health. And if we increase their self-esteem, there is literature saying that children with high self-esteem are less likely to be involved in sibling bullying, especially as the victim of sibling bullying. So what we are trying to do is finding some mediative factors and actually providing some interventions for those mediative factors to actually prevent sibling bullying and protect mental health and well-being in children. Fascinating. Well, we hope to get you back, Emre, when you've published some of those papers. Thank you so much, you know, for raising this issue and for educating us and drawing our attention to some of the proactive steps that we can take to really improve this incredibly important relationship in children's lives. So thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 
This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.